All right, guys, Julie and I have a hot one today. Did you guys miss us? Yes, of <laughs> course. Because we missed did. you guys. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. I was just asking Alicia, I was like, hey, I've noticed like, because I'm looking at different, you know, types of families and, and hearing from my friends and all that. And everybody from different walks of life has issues with their families. And I was like, is it because we have an expectation of what families, quote unquote, supposed to be? So when it doesn't meet this unrealistic expectation, as if all families, it then it then becomes, you know, an issue. And because you it's different from friends, right? You develop friends. And if you guys don't get along, you stop being friends. But even if you if you have a sister and you don't get along with her or something, you can't stop being technically you would never stop being sisters. Even if you guys stopped talking, moved away, lost each other's numbers, never reached out, you still have a sister. And let's say you break up with a friend and 10 years later, you don't go back and look back and go, oh, my long lost friend. You know, there's there's less impact than long lost sister. No. Yeah. Yeah, is it because we have a expectation of what a sister should be, a brother quote, and I'm using air quotes on should, you know, a, a brother, a sister, a cousin, a mom or dad or whatever that family, um, family, the definition of family looks like to you? Yeah, I think for sure. I think there's that uh, adage that people use that blood is thicker than water. Some of my clients back in the day when I used to just do assessments, they would tell me, um, you don't have friends, you just have associates or you just have acquaintances. And like, they were like real serious about things. Like you have your family and that's it. Wow. Uh, so there's definitely more pressure, I think, on family and having blood ties and personally, I was telling Julie that I, I grapple with the idea of family because, of course, I've seen a lot of situations where family members are incredibly toxic and it's definitely better not to have those people in your life. Uh, but then I've also seen a lot of scenarios where it's very hard for people to completely separate from their family because of this idea of them being family. And so those people don't cut their family off completely. They just kind of keep them at more of a distance. Mm -hmm. And I know for myself, when it comes to emotional needs, my family's not it. It's not going to my emotional needs are not going to be met by my family. So, and but I also know that if there's a crisis, my family would be there for me. So I, and I would feel more comfortable asking my family for help than I would my friends, even though they're more emotionally supportive. And I'm just talking about myself. Right. Do you feel guilty? Let me, I want to follow up with the question. Do you feel guilty that you call them up for an emergency, but you don't turn to them for emotional help, support. I don't. I don't know. I think it's almost like the precedence in my family a little bit. 
Um, not that they don't expect to hear from me, because I guess we do communicate. It's just not on a very deep level, I guess you could say. Um, so we do communicate. And then if there was a crisis, no, I wouldn't. That's the one thing I feel from them is that at the, if it if there was a if it all came down, they would be there for me. And I don't know. How do you feel? Do you feel like your sisters would be there for you? Yeah, even if I, even I, like I struggle with, um, you know, my older sister, right? But my, yeah, and my two younger sisters would get along well. But I think if I really needed my older sister, I feel like she would be there for me. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I have a feeling that she would. And it comes down to our deep-seated definition of sisterhood or family. Well, to me... It has become my definition that that is family. Like I can count on them to be there in a crisis. And I have other people to help with my emotional needs. Yeah. And that makes sense because you know how they always say uh, it takes a village to raise a child. It, it's not a lot of pressure. And they say that to a part about a partner as well, but it's a lot of pressure for your family to, raise you and like raise you forever right and just like um your partner your partner can't be your best friend or all your best friends together you can't be your cousin and your sister and your brother and your mom and your dad and your your therapist and whatever your your partner can't be all that because he's just not all that no one <laughs> can right? no yeah. one can be all of that um and and I think it comes down to maybe the, the 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 village is more than just your family and being okay with that. Because yes. maybe like you're saying, some people's village, their definition of village was just their family. They have I have acquaintances and then I have family, that's it, or whatever, right? Associates right. and family. And maybe because their family is their village and that's all they need. I I I feel like nowadays, um, due to just technology widespread of being able to connect to people so easily and fast and, and, and much, much faster than before. Um, and, you know, that's inherently makes your village bigger. That's true. Your village can be widespread. Uh, something interesting about humans that I want to mention real quick is I think most humans, and obviously this is, you know, there's exceptions to every rule, but I think most humans would help another human if they saw them in trouble. And it all depends on the situation, right? But like if a major crisis happened, like uh, if the building that I'm in caught on fire, people help each other get out of the building. Mm-hmm. You know, and when 9-11 happened, there were so many people involved in, in cleaning through the rubble or going through the rubble and trying to rescue people and help. It wasn't just firefighters and police officers because it was such a huge task. They needed help. And people banded together like crazy to help. And I think that that's in our nature. To help. Yeah. So you feel even more obligated to help when it comes to your family. Ugh. 
I can't say you can't really kind of do a, a general statement like that. I feel like because some people really don't have that connection with family. Like truly doesn't, you know, and, but I wonder if they feel bad about it because, you know, there's so many Hollywood movies and music and stories and songs and, you know, like everything kind of has a family. Right. They have they kind of have a foundation, a family or support, moral support. And I think those people that don't have a connection to family, it, it, it's a it's a sad feeling, no. Because of what we feel like in America when it comes to family. I think it it very much depends. Okay, I have clients, for example, that are very close with their family and they don't have a whole lot of friends. I have other people that have a lot of friends and they're not very close with family. And then I have clients that are both. And I don't, I think that what, humans need is connection and support and it doesn't necessarily matter who it's coming from so do you think the the sadness that people feel they go oh i wish i was close to my sister or, i wish i had like a really healthy sister relationship or i really i wish i had x y and z right um is it because those come from rigid definitions of, of family I think so. Well, I also think what you just said about media plays a big role because it's kind of drilled into our head that you should have that kind of relationship with your family. And so then when we don't, we're sad. Um, mm -hmm. But I told a client the other night, sometimes your family doesn't have an accurate picture of who you are because... Mm -hmm. Sometimes just because they spent all this time with you and they watched you grow up doesn't mean they really see you and know who you are. And that's what I think we need and want. And I think we assume that because we spent so much time with our family that they should know us or we wish that they did or um, we expect more from them maybe based on the, the time that we spent with them. Yeah. But the thing I want to uh, add on to that, even though you spent a ton of time with the person and that person was your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad, that person may not have the tools in their toolbox to know how to support you the way you need to be supported. Right. Cause we don't, a lot of times we don't learn that in, in the household we learned that through just life experiences and, and a person that's born into your family, like, like my sister was born and then I was born. She didn't choose to have a sister. She didn't choose to have a sibling. She didn't choose a responsibility of having a little sister or whatnot. Right. So she wasn't ready for it and she was never trained for it. So she, even though she spent all this time with me because she had to, you know, to, cause we ate at the same, we, you know, we ate from our parents. We, you know what I mean? Like we lived in the same house where just because we spent all that time together, doesn't mean that she actually knows me because she only knows me from the lens of her, her um, self versus what I know about me now. And she's not with you. Nobody's with somebody 24 seven. Then when they go to school, we're in two different classrooms. So you're spending 
what, six hours, eight hours, whatever in school, then you have different friends, then you come home and the home is the same. So then you spend that part, but then you might be in two different rooms or you might do two, you know, in the kitchen versus backyard, but you might be doing different things at home. Um, so technically you're spending, you're, you're physically around each other, but you may not be doing the same thing. So I think it, it, this is helping me understand my own um, relationship with my sister. And I, I do feel sad. I have a feeling of sadness when I say I'm not close to my sister. Like, I, I don't know why I feel like it's, it's sad or it's guilt. Like, I feel like I'm, I didn't come from a good family because my younger, you know, my older sister and I don't get along. I don't know. There's some kind of um, sadness connected to it. And I just can't pinpoint it. I would, I would think that it has to do with the expectation that you should have a good relationship with your sister and that it means something if you don't. So it's something that I just need to work on and say, okay, why do I have this definition of sisterhood? Why is it important to me? Who taught me that maybe? Um, why do I believe that? Kind of go self reflectively and, and, and ask me those questions and then see where the trigger comes from. No, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that our parents started because of course parents want their children to get along. Mm -hmm. So they say things like that's your sister. Be, you gotta be nice to your sister. Your sister's the only one who's going to have your back or the, the, all you have or whatever. Parents say a lot of stuff like that. So it starts there. And then you said sisterhood. When you said sisterhood, I thought of the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Traveling pants. I knew you were going to say that. But that was media, right? Like, we see sister relationships in media. And then we were like, oh, man, that would be nice. It would be yeah. nice if my relationship was like that. Um, I remember watching Full House and Step by Step. Mm -hmm. on on nick at night or whatever it was for the friday tgif that's what it was yeah thank god it's friday yeah yeah and thinking oh man the way they're handling this conflict is so peaceful i wish that my family handled conflict yeah, I was like, so I peacefully we didn't just sit down and talk about this you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I wish it was like that yeah um, <laughs> yeah and it was, you know, closer to an episode of, um, what is it? What are those cop episodes when it was like, bad boys, bad boys, which, you know, <laughs> then they chase them with the, uh, the thing in the middle of the night. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, there moments I'm like, nah, I wish I had that. And it's, is it, be, uh, is it because that's what I had? And I did always compare myself a lot when I was younger. Oh, So this yeah. is getting, this is getting maybe to the core of this, I compared myself a lot. So I think I automatically compared myself to, oh, I like I this step-by-step -step family. Oh, I really like that. How come I'm not like that? And then this blah, blah, blah family. How come I'm not like that? You know, and everything like it was family matters and step-by-step. -step yes. Full house, right? Yes. You just, watch, you just sit there and watch five hours of TV. It's like, yeah. <laughs> um, of happy families at the end of the day, because because of american hollywood movies it's always a happy ending oh you know? yeah and if you look at like even the korean dramas they're not necessarily happy endings sometimes they're like they just killed the main character 
oh my God, what are you going to do now? You know, like it's such a twist. That you're like, yeah, that would never happen in an American movie. They would yeah. have to have a, have, they, you have to have a feel good movie and know that. Yeah. Like we got them. Justice prevails. Not a lot of movies, uh, you know, outside of America is uh, like, not all of them are like that. And, but I have that feeling of justice should prevail. Mm -hmm. Everything should be better. Rainbows and butterflies when it comes to family and blood is thicker than water. It's true. I, I really think I feel that. And that's where my guilt and sadness comes from. So, so I guess accepting that it's just my rigid definition of what I think life should be. Right. And going, just being well, aware I'm of not liking when you say rigid, because I don't really see you as rigid. I would, I would say more like it's what you were programmed. Ah. That's what I would say. So okay, what you okay. were programmed to think things should be. And now you're having to reprogram the way that you think about family. And that's not easy to do. I was actually talking to a friend. Okay. I'm going to talk about my friend right now. She uh, and I have been friends since I was like 20. Okay. So we're not going to talk about exactly how long that is, but <laughs> it's a long time. So she has known me since I was in school to, and I had the same goal since high school. So she's known me this whole time. She's watched me go through the whole process and I, she's watched me go to therapy and talk about therapy and she's never done it. Never. So this is the first time in our relationship that she started therapy and I love it. She's been talking to me about therapy and it's wonderful. And of course, the first thing she's dealing with in therapy is family. And she was telling me that the therapist kept telling her that she needed to change her expectations. And she was asking me, why do you think the therapist is telling me to change my expectations instead of cutting them off? And I was mm. like, well, I, I don't know for sure, but I can tell you that from my perspective, most people have a very hard time actually cutting off their family. She might not think that you're willing to do that. I was like, most people feel this obligation to continue somewhat of a relationship with their family. And if you're going to continue the relationship, you have to change your expectations. And if you're not going to continue the relationship, that's okay too. But a lot of people struggle to do that. Mm -hmm. So I, you're not alone in this idea of you can't cut your family off. <laughs> yeah. And I, and the thing is, like, you and I don't know each other where we grew up in completely different worlds. And we really wouldn't know each other except these crazy circumstances that we ran each other. But you grew up watching Step by Step, Family Matters, whatever. Millions of kids our age, adults now, but like, you know, at that time, kids our age were fed these episodes minute by minute, second by second, hour by hour, all those, right? The values and values and values that were set in. And I help, I think it helped program me to think, um, to think this way. That's why I do have a guilt obligation and sadness when I talk about family versus if I didn't, let's say if I had no programming when it comes to definition of family, 
And I just hung out with them because I like them. And I appreciate that I'm alive because of my parents, I guess, right? I appreciate that. But I wouldn't be friends with them if I didn't like them. That probably would be a healthier relationship. Mm. Mm. Don't you think? Like, it would be based on, I would be friends with them mm. based on true friendship versus being friends with them because I because I have to be. I agree with that. <laughs> and I think that bleeds into another area where we treat family sometimes worse than we would treat our friends we just get comfortable in the the security of you can't ever leave me kind of thing and then we give ourselves permission to just treat people disrespectfully or whatever in a way that we would never do with our friends Ooh, that's another great oh that's a good point i was just thinking about a positive like like the guilt of not um of of not having that and wanting that versus um treating them poorly because you know that they'll always be there or you assume that they'll always be there yeah Mm, that's a good point yeah, they I, really I, often see the worst of us. And it's not all just because we give ourselves permission to do that based on the fact that they're going to be around forever. There's also like all the triggers from our past and stuff like that. And the thing is, the, the, the thing is, the triggers from the past, they're, a lot of times they're involved. Whether they know it or not, whether they intentionally did it or not. Um, but they were around while the triggers are happening now. Yeah. Usually so, it has a lot to do with them. Yeah. So there's a there's a there's a subconscious or conscious connection to what happened to who was involved. But the thing is, we start okay, when we're younger, we don't know, you know, how to read or write or hold a pencil or anything. So you start learning, you know, the you start these are toolboxes, right? So you start using a pen. Okay, the pen's in the toolbox. You start using a marker. Okay, pull. Okay, uh, paintbrush in the toolbox. So you're adding all these tools as you get older when you learn how to just use tools in general. But the mental, t- mental, emotional tools are you learn that as you get older too. So maybe when I was two, I punched my sister in the face. I'm making this up, but I punched my sister in the face. But then I learned after that you're not supposed to do that. I go, oh. But I already punched her in the face. So she's already traumatized from what I did. But I learned later, I can't do that. Right. So her trauma was, um, so she was a victim of something that I didn't know was that bad until later. So that's the problem with being, with with not lit, trying to be triggered or having re- or holding resentment against family members because they they might have done stuff directly to you that were terrible and awful. And they didn't have the tools to know that that wasn't right. But because they did it to you, they learned it wasn't right after that. That's a really good point. Yeah, because you're literally growing up with someone. Emotionally, physically. Someone, yes. Yeah. So that's an excellent point. And... You know, you got to think your parents are also growing up with you, you know, regardless of what age they had you. Mm -hmm. Having a child is 
Julie already knows. I tell her all the time. It's a whole game freaking changer. So they probably had no idea what they were getting themselves into, regardless of their age, and were figuring it out as they went kind of thing. Mm, that's true. They didn't have the parent tools in their toolbox. So their parent toolbox was empty. So now that's why a lot of people say grandparents are better parents than they are. And, you know, grandparents are better parents to their grandchildren than they are to their own children because they had a lifetime of tools that they collected in this box. Now they could use those to teach the grandparents. Yeah. And they saw what worked and what didn't. Um, Oh God. My therapist literally told me that today because, um, we were talking about, I get very emotional about parenting because I wish that I could be a perfect parent. Like it's really hard for me. And, uh, I'm definitely not at all. And so she was saying to me that as her daughter has gotten older, some of the best conversations they've had are ones where they talk about things that didn't work and things that could work and how to navigate that together mm -hmm. and I was like oh that's so nice and Brene Brown says the same thing been listening to her parenting book and she was saying she tried to tell her daughter once like do what you want to do don't worry about what people say and then like five minutes later she was upset that the neighbors might think xyz about her porch and her daughter said, oh, I thought you weren't supposed to care about what people think. And she was like, oh, my God, you're right. And they sat down and they had a whole conversation about it. And it was beautiful. But she was saying, like, my therapist and Brene Brown were saying that, like, you figure these things out together as you go kind of thing. Or at least th that's the that's the hope. <laughs> yeah. And I'm doing I'm, I actually like now. I'm starting at 40 years old. I'm starting to transition between child and parent relationship to friend, friend relationship, right? Where I can actually have those conversations because I think now my parents have more tools in their parent toolbox that, and, but, the, but at the same time, we're struggling a lot. We're younger. So their only goal was to keep us alive. Mm -hmm. We cared about getting us a, you know, like getting, getting along and having, sitting down and having the time to, you know what I mean? The privilege to sit around and, and, and go, can we talk about this? Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, can I feed all of you guys? And, um, you know, so we actually shared this really, just really sad story that just made me like the tears came to my eyes. And um, so we spent a few days in Maui together and in, in that time they shared a story of how hard it was to build the family business. There was one time when it was just my two parents. They had no employees or anything and they had no machinery. So they had, except a mixer. So they had to mix something and they had to divide everything by hand and then um, roll it by hand and put it on the tray by hand. Now we have machines for them, but you know, they had to do all that. So I had to do thousands of them. My mom said that in the morning they couldn't, they had to put run, put their hands in warm water 
every morning because it would be it, so much pain. They'll have like claw hands grow, like waking up, you know, Oh, and man. it was all this like feeling like arthritis type of thing. And but they had to do it or they would not have food on the table. Um, and my mom and my dad would come in at like 11 p.m. and he would mix and divide and whatnot. And my mom had to take care of us. So someone had to be home. They had three kids at the time. My God, I was like birth control people. But uh, they had three of us and we were one of them was one years old, two years old. And the other one was uh, four. Um, so I think she went to preschool at that time or something. So she brought two to two with us in the morning. And so she got there at six. And, um, you know, I would like open bags or whatever that my younger sister would sleep. And one time my mom um, had to pull a, a, a cart out of the oven and she's like six, 85 pounds. And she's like five, four, 11. Right. And then the cart fell on her. And that's why she has this crazy deep, like deep scar now. And it happened like it happened th for almost 40 years ago, right? Like 38 years ago. And her scar is still crazy bad because it fell on top of her and she crawled out of it. And she, she, she said, thank goodness. I only had this huge scar on her arm. And um, my, and then when she came back, my dad came back from deliveries. Cause when my mom came in, my dad was able to do deliver. So my dad would leave. So my mom would continue making bread while my dad did a delivery and come back. When he came back, he saw the cart still on the floor. He said, what happened? And he saw her like completely bleeding and it was bubbled. The skin was bubbling and everything. And you could tell she was crying, but she was still dividing the bread. Cause she said, if I stop, no one's here. Like I, I had to continue. So, you know, so she continued to do all this stuff. And he said he felt so bad as a husband, as a father, and you're putting my, his wife in danger like that. And like not being able to put $20 on the table. I feel so emotional talking about it now. Yeah. But he felt like a failure, you know? And like, it was just a really sad moment and to know how much they went through. And then, um, and I totally lost what I was talking about. What, were, what, what was the point of this? Um, and, I don't know. But, I got in the story too. <laughs> and and uh, what were we talking about? We talked about sister, father, parent. Oh, I totally forgot. Perfect um, families and perfect parents. Yeah. Oh, toolbox, toolbox. Yeah. So at that time, they were so busy and that they're doing all those that they didn't have time to sit down and say, oh, Julie, wait, did, did we say something that, that hurt your feelings? Can we talk about this? They were dealing with that, like that their hands were so achy that they had to soak in hot water for like 20 minutes before they could start work. That's what they're dealing with. They didn't deal. They couldn't deal with it. We're an immigrant Chinese family with, no, you know, with nothing, no savings, no, we, uh, nothing. So could you imagine what, what do you mean having those conversations? What do you mean having those toolboxes? Well, that's a really good point that you make because there's a lot of um, psychology theories that I was like, really? Somebody like got paid to make this theory. And one of them that I felt that way about was Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But it's the one that I think makes the most sense in life that uh, basically there's a, a pyramid of needs and you have to have shelter and food in order to think about anything else. Like those things have to be secure before you can think about anything else. And then on, on top of that is like, you know, at the very top is like self-care and, and um, uh, what do they call it? Self-actualization. 
Exactly. So you can never get to the the top of the pyramid if you don't have the bottom part addressed yet. And the bottom part is your basic needs. And so your family was like trying to take care of their basic needs. They couldn't worry about mental health. Mental health is on the back burner when I'm trying to survive. Yeah. And and they started telling stories about Vietnam too, how they would look up in the sky because they they were in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And they would look up in the sky and if the bullet was a line, they were fine because that means it would be passing by them. But if it was a dot, they had to move because that's they're coming down. Like that's what they had to deal with. So like the hierarchical need, this is survive. This they live survival their entire life. They never so when I talk about you know the 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 stupid the silly example of me punching my sister in the face and realizing I shouldn't do that. So I'm learning and I'm picking up those tools. Um, I'm filling my toolbox as I get young, as I go older. But their their toolbox was empty for a long time because their survival need never was fulfilled for a long time, for decades. And I don't remember if I told you this or not, but listening to Brene Brown's book recently, she was saying that the old school parenting model was that you should criticize your children. And she said, even if you were like a super kind parent who didn't want to criticize your children, then you would get ridiculed for not being a critical parent. And that is definitely evident in my work that it was an old school model to criticize. And definitely in the Asian culture, I think China in particular is like just now coming around to the idea that criticizing your children isn't the best parenting strategy. Sometimes I tell my mom that and my mom still like before I talk, talk about it, I go, I go, why do you why did you tell us, you know, criticize like, oh, my God, you you're so smelly. Oh, you're so dirty. Oh, you're so um, go take a shower. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Right. Or like, you didn't do well enough or something like that. I said, why did you do that? She's like, oh, yeah. So you guys could think, oh, you know what? I'm going to prove her wrong. I'm going to be better. Mm. You really believe that? She goes, yeah. I go, what if I told you that you're stinky and you're this and you're this and whatever every day? Like you wore a dress. I go, ah, you could do better. And she was just like, wait, what are you talking about? See, I was like, "If if you actually say it out loud, it doesn't make you feel, you know what? I am going to wear something better. I'm going to prove her wrong. I'm going to look cute. You think, oh my God, she might be right. Ooh, I think I look ugly. And she goes, oh, I never thought about that. Like it was, yeah. (laughs) Like it's a generational cycle that was like, wait, she's like now realizing, like if I said, and and that's her granddaughter, right? She loves, 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 loves. I said, what if I said it to Gwen? She goes, oh, you are so mean. See? What if Gwen said, oh, you could do better. That doesn't look that cute. And she'd be like, she's just a baby. What are you, why are you telling her that? Versus for us, you thought, oh, you know what, mom? I could do better. But in reality, I just believe you. I just go, oh, I do feel, I I don't, I feel ugly. Yeah. And then you believe you're ugly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot that happens out of ignorance and a lack of tools and, it's hard. It's hard to be familiar with people and still treat them kind. It's hard to know how to behave as a kid and as a parent. And I think everybody's just trying to figure it out. 
And still, out of all of that, once we all reach the point of maturation, we can still say, okay, I understand where your trauma comes from and why you behaved the way that you did, but you haven't, you're, you haven't matured to the same level. You can't treat me the way that I need to be treated. So I cannot be super close with you. And in some cases, people even say, I can't have you in my life at all. And I think that that's okay. I think that that's Mm. self-preservation and it's holding people it's it's setting boundaries and maintaining them Mm -hmm. i agree i think go go ahead ahead. (laughs) now we're being really polite no you go ahead no 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 you uh first (laughs) no go ahead you go you finish okay i was just gonna say i think that becomes particularly difficult around the holidays because people feel obligated to spend time with their family around the holidays. And if you don't have family to spend time with, you're kind of like the odd man out. And then even if you do go spend time with someone else's family, it can feel weird. So there's a lot of dynamics involved around the holidays and around family. Because of, I'm gonna blame TV. (laughs) I think that's perfectly fine, go ahead. I mean, because realistically, TV's still very similar. Like, my kids watch all kinds of different cartoons, but the value systems presented are still largely the same. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that TV is promoting healthy families. <laughs> right. I mean, but, uh, I guess it's our responsibility now as enlightened humans to teach people that they still have to prioritize themselves and set boundaries to protect themselves and do what's safe for them emotionally and physically. Yeah, because I think we could take this definition of family to a lot of things. Like, why can't we take the uh, definition instead of family replaced with success? Um, take that out and replace it with, um, um, complete or lover or marriage, right? You could take any of that. And then I think the, the learning lesson of this entire, of today's episode really is look at your programming. If it rings true to you and it makes you happy, then you could, then I think, that makes sense to you and that's fine to follow but if it doesn't make sense to you um then you don't have to try to make sense you're not trying to put a square peg in a round hole it's okay if it doesn't make sense to you because yeah. everybody's circumstances are so different that's so let's true. say your marriage doesn't look like a traditional marriage but you're happy that's all that matters i think that the if you really look into your life and you go am i happy here and the answer is fuck yeah uh, then who cares what that other what what whatever that means to you well that bleeds into a, a whole other subject as far as like you mentioned almost like is there shame that my family isn't as whole and healthy 
mm. as, as I've been programmed that it should be. And so am I going to worry about what people think about my choices around family? And we're human. So again, part of our humanity is that we do care. We absolutely care what people have to say. Um, but, you know, I was just talking to my clients recently about the fact that during 2020, I finally realized that no matter who you are and no matter what you stand for, something around 50% of people are going to have some shit to say about it. You know, if you and I suddenly got super popular, which could happen, and we had 5 million followers, somebody's going to listen to our podcast and have some shit to say, nope, you're wrong. You're terrible. I can't believe you said this. I can't believe you said that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Most definitely. Please don't cancel us, guys. (laughs) We're definitely going to cancel this. So. We have to, at some point in our lives, accept that that is the truth, that we, there is, it's a phrase that we say over and over again in life that you can't please everybody. You can't please everybody, but to really integrate that into our being and know it doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter what I say. Somebody's going to have something to say about it. Therefore, I have to live for me and my value system, and what works for me. I'm really, really glad you said that because I kind of take this episode today as my personal therapy session, and I really appreciate this this free therapy session. Thank you, Alicia. (laughs) I do feel way less than the beginning of this conversation. The beginning of the conversation, I went, wait, wait, like, why do we have issues with our family? Why is there so much guilt connected? Why blah, 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 what's the trigger, whatever. But now I'm like, oh, yeah. The, the punching my sister's face example. And then I realized, and then I'm like, oh, but I didn't know that was wrong until after I did it. And she just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oops. You know, and that's what happens with people. And that's what happened with friends. That's why you kind of outgrow friends or whatever, or the friends doesn't make sense. Or if they're, you know, you just realize, oh, we don't click for whatever reason. And then you move on, but you, you learn from that friendship. So then you become a better friend and you kept getting more and more friends and you, and you evolve in your friendships. Either your your friend evolves with you or they don't. And there's it and it's not sad. Well, it is sad that you lose your friend, but it's not as sad as you say you lose your sister. But now it's starting to make sense to me. You know, like if she didn't evolve with me, then or I don't evolve with her, then we just didn't click in this in this world. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to say that we're abnormal dysfunctional or whatever we're just two human beings that got fertilized you know in the same body right by just two CPU people but those eggs as much of the same gene similar genes that we have create very different people so you just have to be like that's okay that you're like this and i'm like this and as we evolve we evolve um but I, I do feel appreciative of the holidays that we do get together with the family because I'm like, oh, it's it's um it's a nice feeling that that ideally I would like everybody to put everything aside and do that. But I could see how it could be painful to somebody to be like, how can we pretend that everything's okay? And yeah. it feels like we're just pretending. But um I could see on the other flip side and saying that it's not pretending it's 
for a moment, let's let's enjoy us and set aside the differences. But I guess it could be defined as let's pretend that nothing's <laughs> that everything's okay. I guess I think right? it has to do with the degree of the of the problem. Right. Like if it's a mild problem, yeah, we can probably set it aside and, and get along for the moment. Um, if the problem's super severe, like it's it's not physically or mentally safe for you to be in the same room as someone, then you know, you have to consider other options. You know, despite sometimes there's just one person in the family that really ruins it for everyone. Like I've had clients have like a stepdad or something who gets drunk on the holidays and ends up going off on people and gets mean. He's ruining it for everyone. Like now I don't feel like I can go over there because of this one person. And that's sad and we can grieve that. Uh, but we we also have to protect ourselves. We have that obligation to ourselves to protect ourselves in those situations. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I can still appreciate that my family would be there for me in a crisis, even though they're not people that I call for emotional support. Mm-hmm. So if if we're getting together for the holidays, I can appreciate them for that. And I can appreciate them for the history that we share. Um, and, and my sisters are hilarious too. Yeah. And you're not pretending that everything's okay. You just are shining the light on things that you actually do appreciate and that you want to spend time on. Exactly. Exactly. And some people can do that and some people can't, it depends on the degree of the situation. Um, and I think going back to something I said in the beginning, what humans need is connection and support and we can have that within our family or outside of our family. And I personally feel very blessed that there's a lot of people I feel connected to. And I feel like I have great people around me and I, I love the people around me very much. And I, I would be okay if I wasn't spending time with my family, because I know that there would be people I could spend time with and feel connected and feel supported. Uh, But I will say, took me a long time to build that network of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're constantly building. Right. Yeah, it took me years to connect with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Someone didn't want to be friends with me. No. I was, I have an eye out the situation. Oh, but going back with the, the, um, even like the friendships, relationships, family relationships, it doesn't matter. But like, if you feel, um a sense of obligation to the to this person that you don't feel that close to and they're not abusive or hurting you or anything and it's you just are not clicking just try like make um you know uh reservations to dinner or, or go, go over and bring cookies or do things like that until you feel you and until you understand the relationship more you know sometimes you just need to try a little bit but because I know that me and my, my older sister, we there's a point where we really hate each other. We couldn't be in the same room. We just, I couldn't even, she, her name couldn't be spoken in the same room or or something would trigger. My blood would start boiling like, oh, she's going to hit the fan right now. Um, But at, at, tw- at COVID, the year of COVID, I was like, I need to do something about this. So I actually asked her if she wants to go to this couple of therapy basically with me. Um, I actually asked the whole family, but 
she was the only one that actually agreed, which I was like so grateful for. And so I made it easy and as convenient as possible. It was over Zoom. I went to her office um, on the time that she was available. And we spent an hour a week for three or six months. I don't know, whatever, a few months. And it really changed our relationship a lot. There's never, I, it didn't, we're not best friends or anything, but it, I could be in a room and I could have a regular conversation and it doesn't piss me off and I could be completely indifferent to her now. Now I have a lot more, I think, um, empathy for her because I'm understanding like, oh, she didn't have those tools or maybe she saw life differently or blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? She just saw life really differently. And I think I've, I'm I'm in a place where I feel really confident in my life that I could look at, that I have the capacity now to look back and go, oh, I, I don't, um, it doesn't, some of the things she does, her decisions don't really make sense, but I can understand her, you know, I understand why she's doing that. It wouldn't work for me, but I could kind of understand why she's doing that now, you know, so it doesn't trigger me. I'm not mad, um, or impatient or anything like that. It just, ah, that's her, you know, that's how it is now versus like being triggered by even saying her name in the room, you know? Yeah. So I think my effort, I really, um, I really changed my relationship with her. Uh, and I would recommend trying. But let's say if she said, no, I'm not going to go to uh, therapy with you. I would just go to therapy for me. Yeah. You know, and work on it because there's, I can't control her willingness to go to therapy with me or not. I can't control her um, actually willingness to be present during therapy either and she really was so I really commend her for that um and but what I can control is my perspective on it so if, let's say in a situation you try you say hey you let's go to therapy the person said fuck no eh, gross you're disgusting you're the one that's crazy and runs away right you could just go okay and then but you could work on that in therapy you could work with yourself and understand that i can't control her or him in this situation but i control how i see the situation so how what are the steps exercises you know effort that i have to do to change the way i feel about it so i'm not triggered so i don't feel bad yeah i think that's something that you gotta individually evaluate because for example in a toxic marriage it is not recommended to do couples counseling because if somebody's physically being abusive and we go to couples counseling and you say something in couples counseling that pisses me off, now you're going to get it when you get home. Oh, so, so it's not safe to do therapy in that type of dynamic. And the same thing exists in families where I've worked with kids, for example, before where they they want one parent to come in, but anything they say in session can and will be used against them later. Yeah. And so th that's not a healthy dynamic for, for therapy. Um, so some people's family relationships are just that toxic. And so we, we got to be careful um, about saying just try or go to therapy because that is never going to be a good idea. Oh. Oh, you know what? Those are really good points that you said. I'm glad that we're sharing this right now. <laughs> I just try, but I'm very naive. And I guess, you know, like I my, my story turned out fine. But not everybody's story is going to be mine. So I can't really give out advice in, 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 a, in a way that 
um, could could give you a safe and successful result. Um, what certain exercises you could do, I guess by yourself, free exercises, let's go back to this free stuff, um, is what helped me. I remember when I first go there, but I'm like, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? And what really helped me was writing letters I never sent to the people I wanted to work on, work with, right? Yeah. Or the relationship I wanted to work with. So I would say like, dear, and then put in, insert the name of that person. And then I would go through the emotions, like some things I was happy. I was like, oh, I love that we did it. But and I'll be like, I hate you when you did this. And this pissed me off. And I can't believe you did this. And you're, you know, F and then blah, blah, blah. lots of F bombs. Um, and, and, and just that, or like, I felt so sad that you did this and I felt so betrayed and backstabbed and better than abandoned all this stuff, like, but, but wrote it all out, wrote it all out and wrote and continued just writing letters that I would never send to that same person. And you'll be really surprised of the stuff that ends up on that page. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, did I, do I really think that? I'm like, wow, there's some, ang I'm much angrier than I thought I was, you know? like I should burn this I'm and you might get arrested <laughs> I have definitely done the exact same thing and I can say it doesn't happen every time uh there was there was one person in my family that I was angry with for years and oh my god it took me so long I would journal I would talk about it in therapy it took me so long to work through the anger um but sometimes it happens really fast with the letter writing where like you write the angriest letter ever and then like the next letter isn't quite as angry and then the next letter after that isn't quite as angry and it just like progressively gets better it all depends of course on the situation and the the details but yeah that can be a really great outlet so your your letter writing um did it, did you notice that certain people you progressed a lot faster and certain people you didn't? Yeah, I think the, the person that I was angry with for years, it was like ongoing issues. There wasn't, okay. it wasn't like, you know, just dealing with the past. It was stuff that kept happening. And that's something that happens a lot in, in family dynamics that are not healthy, where there's repeat offenses and it's very hard to to get over something when it's still happening. <laughs> mm. so, so that's where I feel like the boundaries are very important because we can't get over something without the space. We have to have the space and distance. So let's say we use the same example of me punching my sister in the face, right? And learning that I'm not so what if I punch my sister in the face? I thought it was funny and I continue doing it. Right. Right. So the tool was never. I, I never learned the tools of not, you're not allowed to do it, but I only did it when my parents weren't looking or I did it where she didn't get a bruise or I did it where, you know what I mean? Like you, you could do that. So that's the ongoing one, ongoing trauma that you might have left and not knowing that it seriously traumatized this person. So the letter writing at that time to my sister, to me, after punching her several times in the face, I'm sure it's going to take a long time for her to be like, Bitch punches me in the face every day, you know? <laughs> yeah. That, She's that, still that. punching me in the face. Like, you might call the police. You might need to call the police at this point. No, yes. I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, the letter writing, it just, I think it also depends on how much it means to you and how traumatized you are with it. Yeah. And the 
thing about the letter writing, a lot of people say, oh, but I don't want anybody to see it. You could burn it after that. You literally could rip it in pieces and throw it away. You don't even have to write it at home. Yeah. You could go somewhere and say you're doing homework, you're going for a project, you're going to school, you're going to work. You, you know, you could literally go to work half an hour before work starts or stay half an hour after work, sit in your car, write on a scrap of paper or a secret journal or, or in your phone, um, blah, 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 and delete it. Yeah, because just the act of doing it releases something. It trigger it uh, for me. I I know pen to paper really helps me, but I know some people don't like writing, so then they they type and whatnot. But re just releasing your not holding on to your own emotions and being scared to share it is okay. You don't actually have to share it. That's true. Uh, being able to identify your emotion, being able to get it out. Those those two things help lessen the discomfort of or the intensity, shall we say, of the emotion. Mm -hmm. That's that's according to the research, by the way, just yeah. being able to properly name the emotion and get it out in one way, shape or form helps take the pressure off the intensity of that emotion. Ooh. That is true because I got in a fight with my boyfriend recently and I yelled. Then um, right after I yelled, he went, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to do, we're not going to get there. And I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know why I yelled so much. And I literally went to, down to like, okay, I don't know why that pissed me off so much. Okay, okay, okay. Let me try to explain. But I needed that like, blah, then oh, wait, yeah, okay, I just needed that. Now I feel much better. Let me explain to you why I was so mad. Yeah. yeah. I, one of the things I was actually just telling a client about this, I dream, I dream very vividly. I dream very intensely. And sometimes I've noticed that my dreams help me process my emotions. So sometimes like, for example, I had a boyfriend once that I was pretty sure cheated on me and I had this dream where I confronted him and I confronted the girl and I was like, go I was losing my shit in my dream. I was throwing things. I was just losing my shit. Nothing that I would actually do in real life, but in my dream, I just released all that emotion and I felt better when I woke up. I was like, hell yeah. That was really? nice. And that's happened to me many times in my dreams. And even my anxiety will show up in my dreams like pretty intensely. So, um, wow. So, if you're anxious about something and then you wake up, are you less anxious or more anxious? Yeah, that depends. That depends on what happened in the dream because I can have some pretty funky dreams. So can you say, let's say you get mad about a situation, but the, 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 the letter actually pisses you off. After writing a letter, you're like, Ooh, a heart rate rate rise. You can't breathe. Ooh, shallow breath. Ooh, this guy's getting it. Mm, oh, close. <laughs> Sometimes you feel like that. And I think, do you continue writing? Or do you have to continue going through it? Because I go back to the analogy, and I've probably said this a couple of times. Like, people have these, I, I see trauma as tunnels, right? So there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Some people's tunnels are long and treacherous and hard and muddy and rainy and everything, right? But you, it's really dark and really long. And some people's are short and smooth. It just depends on what you, happened and how you perceive life and all that, right? 
And um, so after you write your first letter and you're pissed off, what what do you think you do? Continue writing or go on a walk or t- like take a breather? I always recommend taking a break if your emotions get too intense. I had a client writing a letter to her dad and she was so anxious about even writing the letter. So she went to the beach she made mm-hmm. sure the scene was nice and chill. She took her medicine before she <laughs> before yeah. she did anything. Yeah. And um, then afterwards, she did feel kind of emotional. So she, again, like grounded herself and did some stuff to. And she was like, there's that was only the tip of the iceberg. You know, I know there's so much more in there, but like a little bit at a time, like we don't want to send ourselves into a whole spiral. So yes, if anything starts to feel too intense, please take a break. And you could do things like take a walk. You could just meditate. You could just sit there. You could get a cup of coffee. You could go watch a movie. You could read a book. You could go hang out with friends. You go to a party. You go clubbing. You take a ride around the, the block. Um, do something that's physically different from what you're doing when you're writing. Like, let's say you're sitting down and writing. You could just stand up. Mm-hmm. You know, so Tony Robbins, they have a lot of um, um, he has a lot of like teachings. Right. And one of which he says is physical. So you have to change your physical stamina. So for him, he always hits his chest. Mm. I think it's his chest that he he goes like if it's really bad, he goes into cold water or he jumps uh... or he's something, you know. So you physically shake yourself out of what you're feeling at the moment to logically start thinking, because if you lose yourself in the emotion, it actually could be really dangerous. For you. you know what I mean, like you, you might actually get into you might get really really overly emotional about that issue and lose sight of what the purpose of that exercise is yeah yeah i there's actual research that shows animals when they experience a trauma will physically run or shake it out of them and that's their physical release so there's a lot of different types of movement therapy that that helps people release uh those intense emotions that we experience what'd you say i love love that yeah animals when when you're going through issues or anything sometimes it's nice to go back into nature and you look at nature one of my good friends way back when she said her mom would always tell her just go back to nature what would what would happen naturally in life right because she was like trying to speed up and trying to get married and having kids and stuff like that she's like go back to nature you know like how fast does a tree grow how fast just take a step by step and it's not coming from the seed needs to can't go straight to this tree seed needs to become a this become a that before before it becomes this like huge tree you know and it takes a long time so just let the phases happen right and then also she said there's times when when plants need to die for Uh. other plants right Uh. so she look back into nature like remind yourself of what's important and and slow down and speed of life it was such a beautiful and poetic way of, of looking at things and now when i get really anxious you know it, i do go all right fine what the fucking tree gonna do <laughs> and that's I do hilarious that. and when you look at, at, at just leaves dancing in the wind it's so it's really like cheesy i know it's gonna seem cheesy but it's like it really calms you down Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I was talking to a client. One of the questions in my assessment that I ask everybody is, do you do anything that makes you feel connected to something bigger than yourself? And 
I would say if I had to guess that like 70% of people say that being in nature makes them feel connected to something bigger than themselves. And for mental health issues, stress, all of those things, the problem is that we're, we're too, we're stuck in a way of seeing it. We're stuck in a way of um, viewing the situation or operating in life. And we need a break out of that. And one of the things that helps us break out of that is thinking about things in a bigger way. And so going into nature expands our thinking. Or sometimes it might even sort of simplify our thinking that like life exists simply and we can exist simply. So either way, it could have uh, an impact on you. But there's also research now, and you can look it up on grounding. The The experts are recommending that you spend at least 10 minutes outside every day with your shoes off. Make sure mm. your feet are touching the ground. Um, make sure you're trying to absorb some sunlight or, you know, just be a part of nature for at least 10 minutes a day because our bodies physiologically respond to nature. Mm, I so like it. It is really interesting that you, you mentioned that. <clears throat> but all right. So I don't know how much we really talked about the holidays, but we certainly talked about constructs of thinking, particularly around family. So hopefully something we said today resonates with people and they can take these skills and feel better. Yeah, thank you for spending the hour with us. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>